0: Chapter 5 of the Jackknife Man by Ellis Parker Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 Buddy Steers the Boat. Now don't you fret, Buddy boy, said Peter Lane with forced cheerfulness, because I'm going to let you do something you never did before, and that I wouldn't let many boys do. You are going to help Uncle Peter steer this boat just like he was a big man. Buddy stood in the skiff which was drawn up on the bank. Peter, with a rock and his stove poker, was undoing the frozen knot that held his shanty boat to the Rock Island Railway system, and by means of that to the state of Iowa. He was preparing to take the shanty boat down the river to George Rapp's place. His provisions were aboard the rag of a sail lay ready to raise should the wind serve but it promised not to and the long sweep that had reposed on the roof of the boat was on its pin at the bow if a boat both ends of which were identical could be said to have a bow i like to steer boats said buddy out of his boyish optimism i bet you do said peter and a mighty good steerer you'll make I don't know how Uncle Peter could get down river if he didn't have somebody to steer for him. Now you let me push that skiff into the water, and we'll row around the boat, and before you know it you'll be steering like a regular little sailor." He threw the mooring rope onto the stern deck of the shanty boat, pushed the skiff into the water, and pulled to the other end of the boat, where the long sweep was held, with its blade suspended in the air the handle caught under a cleat on the deck. Peter lifted Buddy to the deck, made the skiff's painter fast, and climbed to the deck after the boy. "'Now, Buddy, we'll be off in a minute and a half,' he said. Just as soon as I fix you the way they fix sailors when they steer a ship in a big storm.' He drew a ball of seine twine from his pocket, knotted one end about Buddy's waist cut off a generous length and tied the other end to the cleat don't said buddy imperatively i don't want to be tied uncle peter oh yes you do said peter why a sailor man couldn't think of steering a great boat like this unless he was tied to it no shouted buddy and peter stood holding his end of the cord studying the boy Now, buddy boy, he said appealingly, don't holler like that. Ain't I told you that we must keep right quiet because your ma is asleep in there? But I don't want to be tied, cried the boy. But Uncle Peter's going to be tied too, said Peter. Yes, siree, Bob. Just as soon as I get this boat out into the river, I'm going to be tied like you are, and no mistake. You didn't know that, I guess, did you?" The boy looked at him doubtfully. "'Are you?' he asked. "'If I say I am, I am,' said Peter. You can always be right sure that when Uncle Peter says a thing he ain't trying to fool you, buddy. No, sir. You can just believe what Uncle Peter says with all your might. I might lie to grown folks now and then. BUT I WOULDN'T LIE TO A LITTLE BOY, NO, SIR. I AIN'T A LITTLE BOY, I'M A BIG SAILOR MAN, SAID THE BOY. AND YOU SAID I COULD STEER, AND I WANT TO STEER. RIGHT AWAY YOU CAN, SAID PETER. YOU'RE GOING TO STEER WITH ONE OF THEM skiff OARS, BUT FIRST I'VE GOT TO ROW THIS BOAT OUT INTO THE RIVER A WAYS, SO YOU'LL HAVE PLENTY OF ROOM, SO DON'T YOU FRET. You watch Uncle Peter." He made the skiff fast to the boat with a length of rope, took the oars, and as he rowed, the heavy boat moved slowly from behind the point out into the river current. Peter towed her well out into the river before he let the skiff drop back. He meant the shanty boat to float sweep first, if it was all the same to her and he fastened the painter of the skiff to the shanty boat's stern and edged his way along the narrow strip of wood that marked the division between the hill and the superstructure holding himself by clasping the edge of the roof with his cold fingers and sliding an oar along the roof as he went it would have been much simpler and safer to have passed through the cabin to satisfy buddy he tied a length of seine cord about his own waist and fastened the end of the deck ring and then he lashed buddy's oar to a small iron ring the boy could take a few steps and splash the water with the oar without falling into the river then peter took the heavy sweep handle in his hands and the shanty boat was under way it was time The rising water had dislodged heavier ice than had yet come down, and the river was filling with it. The wind, such as there was, while it blew almost dead upstream, was an aid in that it swept the floating ice toward the Illinois shore, leaving Peter's course clear, and an occasional dip of the sweep was sufficient to keep the boat head-on in the current. The wind made the river choppy, but the shanty boat, not having had time to waterlog since Peter put her in the water, floated high. For a while Buddy steered energetically, splashing the water with the blade of his oar, but Peter was ready for the first sign of weariness. "'My, but you're a fine steerer,' he said approvingly. When you grow just a bit bigger, Uncle Peter is going to teach you how to row a boat and a song to sing while you row it hurry up now and help uncle peter steer let's sing a song to steer a boat said buddy no i guess we won't sing to-day said peter some other day we'll sing for peter and buddy were not taking the voyage alone when peter assisted by mrs skinner had completed the preparations he felt were due any woman who was making the great journey he found his money too little to afford her a resting place in the town but peter lane could not let one who had knocked at his door seeking shelter go from there to the potter's field any more than he could let her boy go to the county farm while a smart reporter was wondering whether the power of the press in his article pass her along had warned lies murden to take the road to some other town and while dr roth was telling of the shanty boatman whose wife had died without medical attendance peter by roundabout questions regarding george rapp's place learned of a small county burying ground not too far from the spot where the shanty boat was to be moored for the winter there he was taking lies murden who decent at last and forever lay within the cabin through the long forenoon, Peter leaned on the handle of his sweep, pressing his breast against it now and then to swing the shanty boat into the full current. There was no other large boat on the river. Here and there a fisherman pulled at his oars on a heavy skiff, or moved slowly from hook to hook of his trot line, lifting from time to time a pop fly protesting fish, but gave the shanty boat no more than a glance the boat floated past the empty log boom of the upper mill silent for the winter and past the great lumber piles still bearing their covering of sleet peter could hear the gun-like slap of board on board coming from where some man was loading timber in a freight car and occasionally a voice came across the water with startling distinctness i told him he could chop his own wood i wouldn't do it what did he say to that he said he could get plenty of men that would do it he knew the men must be sitting close to the water's edge and finally his sharp eyes made them out below the railway embankment two black specks crouched over a small yellow blaze he recognized one voice the voice of one of the town loafers the other was strange to him probably that of some tramp Below that, dwellings fronted the river, and the streets of the town opened in long vistas as the boat came to them, closing again immediately as it passed. The hissing of a switch engine, sidetracked to await the passing of a train soon due, and the clanking of a poker on the grate bars as the firemen dislodged the clinkers, came to Peter's ears distinctly then the boat slipped past george rapp's stable with its bold red-brick front and as he passed the door peter could hear for an instant the scrape of a horse's hoof in the stall although the boat was a good half mile out in the river beyond the stable was the low-lying canning factory and the row of saloons and the hotel and the wholesale houses partly hidden by the railway station on the river side of Front Street, and the packet warehouse on the river's edge. Then the low rumbling of the dusty oatmeal mill, cut by the excited voices of small children playing at the water's edge, became the prominent voice of the town. From the edge of the river the town rose on two hills, showing masses of gray leafless trees, WITH HERE AND THERE A HOUSE PEEPING THROUGH. FROM PETER'S BOAT IT LOOKED LIKE THE DEAD corpse OF A TOWN, BUT HE KNEW EVERY STREET OF IT, AND HE KNEW LIFE, WITH ITS MANIFOLD BUSINESS OF WORK AND PLAY, WAS HURRYING FEVERISHLY THERE, AND HE KNEW, TOO, THAT NOT ONE OF ALL THOSE SO BUSY WITH LIFE KNEW HE WAS FLOATING BY, OR, IF KNOWING IT, WOULD HAVE CARED that there is a town buddy said peter that's riverbank is it said buddy without interest he gave it but a glance yes sir said peter that's the town and it's sort of funny to think of that whole town full of people rushing around and going and coming and doing things that seem mighty important to them whilst you're whilst this boat goes floating down this river as calm and peaceful as if the day of judgment had come and gone again it's funny probably there ain't man or woman in that whole town but a couple of days ago was better and whiter than than a certain party and now there ain't one of them but is all smudgy and soiled if compared with her yes sir it's funny he worked his sweep vigorously to carry the shanty boat to the east of the large island, the towhead, that lay before the lower town. The screech of boards passing through the knives of a planing mill drowned the rumble of the oatmeal mill. A long passenger train hurried along the river bank like a hasty worm and stopped, panting, at the water tank and went on again the boat as it passed on the far side of the island seemed to drop suddenly into silence and the chopping of the waves against the hull of the boat made itself heard yes sir towns is funny said peter now take the way going behind this island has wiped that one out so far as you and me are concerned buddy that town might be wiped off the earth and we wouldn't know we wouldn't hardly care at all. The folks in it ain't nothin to us at all right now. And yet, if I go into that town, I'm interested in every one of the folks I meet, and it makes me sort of sick to see any of them cold and hungry. Maybe that's what towns is for. Maybe I live alone too much. I get so all I think about is sleep and eat, and eatin ain't a bad habit. How'd you like to?" Buddy was willing. He was willing to eat any time. He ate two apples and eight crackers and watched the apple cores float beside the boat. "'Now you're going to fish,' said Peter. Right here looks like a good place to fish. Maybe you'll catch a whale. You're just as apt to catch a whale here as anything else.' "'Ain't Mama hungry?' asked buddy so suddenly that peter was startled now hear that he said ain't you just as thoughtful why no buddy it's real nice for you to think of that but your ma ain't hungry she ain't going to be hungry or cold or wet any more so don't you bother your little head about it one bit she don't want anything but that what you should grow up and be a big fine man "'Like you, Uncle Peter?' asked Buddy. "'My land, no,' said Peter impulsively. "'I mean, no, indeed. "'Don't you take me for no model, Buddy. "'You want to grow up and be—I'll explain when you get older. "'I want you to grow up to be a good man, "'the kind of man that takes some interest in other folks. "'You don't want to be a dried-up old codger like me.' what's a codger asked buddy a codger is a stingy old hard-shell cuss peter began i guess you could eat another apple he finished and buddy did the island they were passing was low and fringed with willows now bare of leaf and the shanty boat kept close in until the current veered to the illinois shore with its water elms and maples, and tangles of wild grapevines. Peter knew every mark of this part of the river well. The current swung from shore to shore, now crossing to the Iowa side again, where the levee guarded the fields, and now swinging back to the Illinois bottomland. For the boy, the scene held little interest. For Peter, it was a new chapter of an old story he loved. Here a giant sycamore he had known since youth had been blackened and shortened by lightning. There an elm falling had created a new sandbar on which willows were already finding a foothold. In time it might be quite an island or perhaps the next spring rise might sweep it away entirely. A farmhouse high on the Illinois bluff had a new windmill a sweet potato barn on the other side of the river was now a blackened pile of timbers rotting sandbags told the spot where the river on its last rampage had threatened to cut the levee buddy fished patiently until even a more interested fisherman would have given it up as a bad job and peter fed him a slice of bread and butter for half an hour he watched peter whittle a nubbin off the end of the sweep and fashion it into a top but at the first attempt to spin it the top bounded into the water and floated away and this suggested boats for the rest of the afternoon peter doled out pieces of the pile of driftwood on the deck and they went over the side as boats peter naming each after one of the river steamers until buddy himself said this is the war eagle uncle peter or this is the long annie she'll splash peter did not grudge his firewood there was an abundance of driftwood to be had in the slough for which they were making the last piece he fitted with a painter of twine and buddy let it drag in the water enjoying its pull until the afternoon grew late and the sun set like a huge red ball that almost reached from bank to bank and made the river a path of gold and copper. As they floated down this glowing way, Peter fed the boy again. Little as he knew about boys, he knew they must be fed. "'There now,' he said, when the boy could eat no more and the tired eyes blinked. I guess you'll sleep like a sailor tonight, and no mistake, buddy boy, and I'm going to give you a treat such as boys don't often have. You see that great big white moon up there? I'm going to let you go to bed outdoors here so you can look right up at that moon and blink your eyes at it, and see if it blinks back at you. That's what I'm going to do, and whenever you want to, you can open your eyes, and you'll see that big old moon and those stars and Uncle Peter." "'I don't want to go to sleep,' said Buddy. "'Nobody said you had to go to sleep,' said Peter. You stay awake if you want to and watch that funny old moon. You'd think we'd float right past it, but she floats along up there like a sort of shanty boat up in the sky and the stars follow along like the playboats you put in the water you wait until you see the bed uncle peter is going to make for you buddy fixed his eyes very seriously on the moon while peter unlocked the cabin door and brought out an armful of nets and blankets and a pillow close against the cabin peter built a bed of nets and blankets there now he said "'That's some bed. I hope that moon didn't blink at you. Did she?' "'No, she didn't,' said Buddy. "'But she almost did.' "'You crawl in here where you'll be nice and warm, then,' said Peter. "'Uncle Peter has to have somebody to watch that moon and tell him if she blinks. And you can lie here and look up, like the sailors do. If she blinks, you tell me, won't you?' "'Yes,' said Buddy, seriously, and Peter tucked him in the blankets. "'Uncle Peter,' he said after a minute, "'she blinked.' "'Did she now?' said Peter, but Buddy said no more. He was asleep. But the moon did not blink much. Big and clear and cold, she filled the river valley with white light through which sparkles of frost glittered and through the evening and late into the night peter lane stood at his sweep looking out over the water and thinking his own strange thoughts now and then he stooped and arranged the blanket over buddy's shoulders and now and then he knelt and dipped water from the river with his cupped hand to pour upon the sweep pin lest it creak and awaken the boy when he swung the sweep he swung it slowly and carefully so that only the softest gurgle of water could be heard above the splashing of the small waves against the hull after midnight the night became intensely cold and peter's fingers stiffened on the sweep handle and he warmed them by hugging them in his armpits it was about two in the morning when the shanty boat slipped into the mouth of the slough that cut george rapp's place and floated more slowly down the narrow winding water until the soft grating of sand on the bottom of the hull told Peter she was going aground on a bar. Very quietly then, Peter pulled the boat close to the low, muddy bank, frozen now, and made her fast. His voyage was over. He gathered driftwood and made a fire, well back from the boat so the light might not disturb the boy's slumber, and sat beside it, warming his hands and feet, until the sun lighted the east. It was a full hour after sunrise before Buddy awakened, and then he looked expectantly at the sky. "'The moon got lost, Uncle Peter,' he said with deep concern well we haven't time to bother about any moon this morning said peter briskly this is the day you are going to have a real good time because a farmer man lives not so far away from here and he has more pigs than you ever heard of and horses and cows and chickens and turkeys and guinea hens and i don't know what all and i dare say he's wondering why you haven't come to see them by this time yes sir he's wondering why buddy hasn't come yet and so are the pigs and the cows and the horses and the chickens and the guinea-hens and the turkeys said buddy eagerly yes hurry, bob said peter so we'll hurry up and wash our faces buddy scrambled to his feet all eagerness and then with the sudden changefulness of a small boy he turned from peter toward the cabin door i want my mamma to wash my face he said peter lane put his thin brown hand on buddy's shoulder son he said so seriously that buddy looked up do you recall to mind the other night when you and your ma come a knockin at my door and how cold and wet and tired in the leg and hungry you was well buddy YOUR MA WAS AWFUL SORRY YOU WAS SO TIRED OUT AND ALL. I GUESS I COULDN'T HALF TELL YOU HOW SORRY SHE WAS, SON, NOT IN A WEEK. YOU TOOK NOTICE HOW YOUR MA CRIED whilst YOU WAS ON THAT TRIP, DIDN'T YOU?" YES, MAMA CRIED, SAID BUDDY. YES, SHE CRIED, SAID PETER, AND THE REASON SHE CRIED WAS BECAUSE SHE HAD TO TAKE YOU ON THAT TRIP that she didn't know what was to be the end of. That's what she cried for, because she had to let you get all tired and hungry. And you wouldn't want to make your ma cry any more, would you? No, said Buddy simply. Well, then, said Peter, clearing his throat, your ma, she has had to go on another trip, unexpected, and she says to me, in a way, so to speak, "'Uncle Peter,' she said, "'here's Buddy, and he just can't go with me on this trip, and I want you to take him and—and—show him the pigs and—' "'And cows,' Buddy prompted, "'and horses and turkeys.' "'Why, yes,' said Peter Lane. "'So to speak, that's what she meant, I guess. "'The horses and turkeys and the things in the world.' so she went away and she wouldn't like to have you fret too much just because she couldn't take you along all right said buddy quite satisfied let's go see the pigs and the cows and the turkeys for peter it was a long day from the time he carried buddy on his shoulder to the farmhouse two miles back on the bluff to the time he stopped for him at the farmhouse again late in the afternoon and bore him back to the boat with a chunk of gingerbread in his hand and the farmer's kind wife standing in the door wiping her eyes on her blue apron. When Peter had tucked the boy in the bunk and had said good night, he took out his jackknife to shape a wooden spoon. The boy, raising his head, watched him, and Peter, looking up, saw the blue eyes and thought he saw a reproach in them that's so he said that's so i forgot a tea totally last night he seated himself on the edge of the bunk and leaned over the boy taking the small hands in his i don't know if your ma had you say your prayers to her or not buddy he said and i don't rightly remember how that our father goes so we'll get along the best we can till I go up the farm again and I find out for sure. You just say this after Uncle Peter. Oh, God, make us all well and happy to-morrow, Buddy and Uncle Peter and Aunt Jane." "'And Aunt Jane,' repeated Buddy. "'And—and and Mrs. Potter,' said Peter. "'And Mrs. Potter,' said Buddy and the pigs and the horses and the cows and the chickens and the turkeys well yes said peter i guess it won't do any harm to put them in although it ain't customary they might as well be well and happy as not amen uncle peter said the boy suddenly will mamma come back oh yes said peter lane in his unpreparedness and then he opened his mouth again to tell the boy the truth, but he heard the sigh of satisfaction as Buddy dropped his head on the pillow and closed his eyes. "'I got to take that lie back tomorrow,' said Peter gravely. "'But he never did take it back, never. It stands against him to this day, but it is quite hidden in the heaped-up blossoms of his gentle kindness.' End of chapter 5